Hi, everyone. Welcome back to the Careers in Medicine podcast. In today's episode, we'll be taking a closer look at the career of a CRNA, a certified registered nurse anesthetist. Today, I'll be interviewing Elisa Wolf, who is a CRNA who has been practicing for several years. So I'm super excited to get to know more about her career path and the journey it took to get there. Let's get started. Hi, Elisa. Welcome to the podcast. I'm so excited to have you on here today. I've always been really excited about the career of a CRNA, so I'm super excited to learn more about your career. Thank you for having me. This is so exciting. Cool. So I guess let's get started with our first question then. Um, So my first question is, um, what do you do on a daily basis at your job? Yeah, so right now I'm actually in an interesting place where I came from New York City and I'm in Seattle um, and I work currently for a private CRNA group, which did not exist in, which does, does not exist in New York. Um, oh, so long story short right now, I'm, so I'm at the private CRNA group and I work for the polyclinic currently mm-hmm. um, and I do mostly, I do gastroenterology. So I do all colonoscopies cool. and endoscopies. Oh, Wow. Um, so my daily, and I also go to another center, which does plastic surgery. So my setup is different between those two places, but my typical setup for colon, my endoscopy center at the polyclinic is there's at least 18 cases a day there. So I get in in the morning, get in um, about like a half hour before your shift begins to do the setup. Um, And my setup is checking my emergency equipment. Um, I set up my syringes, my drugs, um, Mm -hmm. because it moves very fast there. Mm -hmm. And then I go and see the patient um, and do a preoperative assessment of them. I look them up prior in the online charting. Um, Usually it's Epic, which is amazing. And then Mm -hmm. I go and talk to them in being a CRNA people or in anesthesia, people compare it to being an airline pilot where 90% of the time, everything is smooth sailing and totally fine. But that 10% Mm -hmm. is when like shit can hit the fan and you always need to be prepared for that. And Uh so that's what you're doing in the morning is making sure everything is there in the case of the emergency. Cool. Was that a long answer to your question? No, that's good. That's good. (laughs) Yeah. So um, how is a CRNA different than a regular RN? Like what extra certifications and things do you need? Yeah. So a regular RN either does one year of schooling or a four-year undergraduate degree. Mm-hmm. I did a four-year undergraduate degree and got a BSN, a Bachelor in Science of Nursing. Mm-hmm. Um, and a CRNA, a certified registered nurse anesthetist, actually is an RN first. And mm-hmm. you in order to get into CRNA school, you have to do at least one year of nursing in an intensive care unit. Um, most places do not want an emergency room. Some schools will allow it. Um, and then from there, after your one year, you can you apply to CRNA school. Actually, people apply. Some people apply during their first year in the ICE, intensive care unit in the ICU. Mm-hmm. Um, and then you do two years, two and a half years of CRNA school. Um, some places are one year didactic and the second year is 
full clinical, some places are intermingled with didactic and clinical time, and then your CRNA. Cool. So, so it is compared to a, a, a nurse, it's more schooling, it's more intense uh, in terms of pharmacology, um, mm -hmm. it's more responsibility, and it's more autonomy. Cool. How did you know that you wanted to be a CRNA, like after finishing nursing school and everything? Or did you even beforehand? Yeah, so I actually was pretty lucky with my course. I went to University of Michigan for nursing school. Mm -hmm. Um, and I applied straight from high school into nursing school at University of Michigan. I actually only, I applied there and I was in NYU, but mm -hmm. I, was, I figured I'm like, oh, I'm going to end up in New York City. So why go to New York City for <laughs> college? But anyways, um, and while I was in school at Michigan in their four-year um, undergrad nursing program, my senior year, we were allowed to shadow, and it's called an advanced practice nurse. Um, and so some people shadowed a midwife, some people shadowed a nurse practitioner, and some people shadowed a CRNA. And I really loved pharmacology. I was mm. pretty good at it and used to tutor <laughs> pharmacology, not to knock myself cool. up. But um, so I ended up shadowing a CRNA and was like, this is incredible. Like you're all you're working with an anesthesiologist some places you're working on your own you're basically doing everything under the sun where whether it's putting in special lines in people's necks called the central line you're putting in arterial oh, wow. lines you're doing regional anesthesia like spinal epidurals i was like this is awesome i'm like i love this and then you're also you're constantly thinking as a nurse anesthetist you're constantly being like, okay, that's a weird thing. What it, could that be? And just doing diagnostics in your head. And I just really loved it. And I loved my shadow experience. So when I graduated um, undergrad, I applied only to ICUs. Um, hmm. And I could not get into an ICU program because the market was saturated with hmm. with nurses. And in order to get into an ICU at that time, this was like 2010, you had to um, do what's called like a residence, residency program. So you need to be in a program with like 10 other people who want to get into the ICU and you have this like rigorous preceptorship. Um, and I just could not get a spot in one. I want, cause I was applying for Michigan and I wanted to be in New York or Boston. Um, and I eventually got into, I graduated May of 2010. I didn't get into an ICU until April of 2011. Oh, wow. Um, and I got, I got a job at Mass General Hospital in Boston, which was, I was like, oh my God, this is like the premiere. Like if I get, if I'm a nurse here, either I'll have an amazing career here or I'll, it'll be my ticket into any CRNA school. Um, and the one thing I could tell everyone, if you want to go to CRNA school, do not tell your future employers that you want to be a CRNA because nobody wants to take a potential ICU applicant and mm -hmm. then have them stay only for a short amount of time to then go to school. So I kind of kept a hush hush what mm -hmm. I wanted to do. Um, I ended up staying four and a half years in the ICU because I loved wow. it so much. Mm -hmm. Cool. Yeah. What is your favorite uh, procedure to perform? Oh, I love doing epidurals. Um, yeah. When I was working in New York, my first job out of CRNA school was at NYU. Um, uh -huh. And I had a really great experience. And part of that was we did OB, we did obstet obstetrics. 
Um, mm-hmm. Because the political climate is very different in New York City, we only did at night. Um, and so I was able to do epidurals, basically. I did like, sometimes we'd be up to like 12 a night. You just going from wow. room to room to room. Everyone in New York City gets an epidural. <laughs> They're all pretty weak there, just joking. Um, so that's my favorite thing to do. It's kind of, you give basically immediate pain relief to someone who really needs it. You walk into the room and a laboring woman hates everyone except for you. So it's pretty special to do that sort of thing. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, what was your, what is your most challenging procedure in your opinion? Hmm. What's a challenging procedure? Well, there are things I don't like. I don't like pediatrics. Um, I find that very challenging. There's something about, even if it's like a small thing, like doing ear tubes for a child, you know, when kids get a lot of ear infections, they get ear tube placements. Um, it's a very short procedure. And you sometimes you just put a mask on the, on the baby or the kid to um, get them to sleep. So it's because it's very, very fast. But mm-hmm. I just, I find it very, it's scary because they're small. You have mm-hmm. to calculate everything. All their doses are calculated to a T. If you overdose a baby, it's a big deal. Um, mm-hmm. Even the amount of fluids you give them, it's you have to calculate them, make sure that you don't give them too many fluids because if you overload them with fluids, it's dangerous. Um, mm-hmm. So that would be the most challenging for me is doing kids. It also, I don't know why, it's just when I see a baby, when they come in, I just want to like hold them and that's mm-hmm. not what you're supposed to be doing. You're supposed to be putting them to sleep. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So uh, what was your most challenging, uh, like what was the most challenging thing for you throughout uh, your whole journey to becoming a CRNA? Truthfully, the most challenging thing is the politics of it that I had no idea about. Um, there's a very odd relationship between nurse anesthetists and anesthesiologists. Mm-hmm. It's state by state what nurse anesthetists are allowed to do um, Mm -hmm. and what they're considered. In New York State, as of 2021, nurse anesthetists are not considered, it's called an independent practitioner. Mm -hmm. So we cannot practice without an anesthesiologist present or an MD present. Now in the state of Washington, we are independent practitioners. Um, But coming back to New York where I was first practicing, it was really challenging and I had no idea how awkward it was between anesthesiologists and nurse anesthetists. There's a lot of restricting of our practice mm-hmm. um, because of being a nurse anesthetist. There's a lot of like very mean anesthesiologists that will <laughs> yell at you and make you feel dumb. And in one instance, I was my hand was swatted away multiple times by someone um, like physically touched, <laughs> which is mm. very weird. Um, there's also just no, just being, having a conversation, making a plan. There's, you have no, even though you have autonomy, it's just, you're treated differently. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's really challenging. It's you, I come from a place where I want to be collaborative. And I think that this is a really odd time in our lives where we really, there's a lot of anesthesiologists who are older and retiring and they mm-hmm. we need to we, there's a decrease in anesthesia providers and we all need to be working together and it, the politics of it is just very disheartening 
Yeah. Um, there's a lot of like anti-CRNA rhetoric on, it's called the ASA, the, um, what's it called? The American Association of Anesthesiologists. Mm-hmm. And it's like, why can't we just work together, man? I think we yeah. all, we both need each other and there's no reason for anyone to feel threatened, whether it's an anesthetist or an anesthesiologist, we all bring something of value to the table. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Was it, was it hard when you first started working? Like, what was it like then? Well, New York is a very odd place. And even people from Seattle who've worked in New York, they were like, it is so weird. Um, it was, wait, what was your <laughs> question? I went off on a tangent. How was, how was it like when you were first starting? Oh, when I first started, I, you basically, you're just told what to do and you just run from place to place. Oh. Um, and you even though you're operating as a nurse anesthetist and you're putting in breathing tubes, you're putting in special lines. Um, there were times that it was just so frustrating. Like when I was working in OB, mm-hmm. there were in order at NYU, the rule was you can put in the epidural, but you had to have an anesthesiologist physically there to put it in. So there would be times where I would, there was multiple women who need an epidural and mm-hmm. I could have easily went from room to room, just putting it in and leaving. But because I needed an anesthesiologist, that was the holdup. And we would wait for them to wake up. We would wait because they were sleeping on um, at mm-hmm. night. Yeah. Or we would wait. They were in another room with the resident. Cause it was me and a resident that were on. And then one, one or two anesthesiologists, usually it was two, but one was usually sleeping. Um, and you were just waiting. So there would be times where I would be waiting for at least a half hour, no joke, with a woman screaming. And I'm with, because the position for an epidural is she's, you're sitting on the bed and their back is curled. And I'm sitting on the other end because you want your, their back is in front of you. And it's mm-hmm. just a really uncomfortable position. And it's physically uncomfortable for the patient to wait and unnecessary when I could just go ahead and do the epidural. So that's one of the challenging things is that you can't really work independently in that sort of sense in New York City. Um, another thing was that there are all these rules that were trying to be put in place when I was there um, in terms of waking up a patient. So mm-hmm. when you put a patient to sleep, it's called an induction. So you're putting them to sleep, you're giving them medicine, you're putting a breathing tube in. Um, and when you do an induction, the anesthesiologist needs to be present, whether it's them like putting their head at the door and saying, hey, I'm here, or them physically, they're pushing drugs. Um, and then at the end of the case, you extubate. So you take out the breathing tube and you wake them up. And at where I was working towards the end, which I found really frustrating, was that they wanted the anesthesiologist like, well, we need to be there when we wake up. And time, a lot of being an anesthesia provider is timing things correctly. You want them, the surgery to be done, the drapes come off, the patient's awake, they're out the door. Because the faster things happen, the more cases you can do, and then more money the hospital makes. Mm -hmm. It's all about money. Um, And so that was pretty frustrating that you had to wait for an anesthesiologist to be present and you're delaying a wake up or getting in trouble because you wake up someone and the anesthesiologist isn't present mm-hmm. so that yeah. was hard yeah it seems really hard yeah uh along with that like um for your actual schooling to become a crna was it like mostly um educate like classes and things like that or was it like more of like a residency program where you actually like shadowed someone or like 
something like so that. it was both um oh. most schools actually all schools are both they do classes and you do in-person pre um internships mm-hmm. or we call them clinicals um and i went to columbia in new york city our mm-hmm. first year was pure my so i sorry right now there's a push from the American Association of Nurse Anesthetists to have all CRNAs be doctorates. Um, I'm not a doctorate. I don't. Um, so I, my program was only 27. How long? My program was 27 months. Now okay. they're three years because everyone has to get a doctorate. But anyways, when I was in school, my first year was purely didactic. You were in the classroom. You were learning the principles of anesthesia, um, whether that was learning different positioning and different um, injuries that could happen mm-hmm. because you don't position correctly or learning about all of the anesthetic gases, which are just the most complicated thing ever. Um, you're just learning everything, pathophysiology, um, basically everything, not just anesthesia related, but just according to the body and relearning anatomy and physiology, um, with that. And then my second year was the majority of it was in the clinical setting. So I would have classes maybe, I think it was once or twice a week, I would have classes. And then the other three days I would have clinical, um, at one site and you would rotate every, oh God, I can't remember. I think it was every like three months we would go to a new site. Um, okay. and you also specialize, like I had like a general rotation where I went to, I'm just going to say like, I went to NYU for one of my clinical rotations. And then the three months later I went to, um, St. Francis, which was a cardiac specialized hospital. And I only did cardiac cases so I can be exposed to that. And at the end of our 27 months, in order to, because in order to be a CRNA, you have to take boards. In order mm-hmm. to even take boards, you have to have a certain amount of numbered of cases. So we would have to record on this recording platform um, what cases we did. You have to have a certain number of cardiac cases. You have a certain amount of lines you place, a certain amount of regional anesthesia. Um, so that was the deal with my schooling that it was half the first year was didactic the second year was most was basically clinical with some didactic skill cool what was favorite uh clinical uh area uh when you were in school um I really, I had got a very special experience where I worked at Maryland Shock Trauma. So our school, even though we were in New York, you, you don't need to have a trauma rotation, but um, you can ask for one or you can apply to be, um, go to a trauma rotation. And there were only two hospitals that did it. It was Jacoby and then the other, which is in um, the Bronx, a huge pain <laughs> in the ass to get to if you don't have a car, um, or it was Maryland Shock Trauma, which we had a special relationship with them. And you had to basically get into the clinical rotation. So you had to have certain grades to get in. Um, so I ended up, I, I ended up getting awarded a spot there. And that was just a crazy, crazy experience. Maryland Shock Trauma is the number one trauma center in the United oh, States. Wow. You Believe see gunshot wounds every day. You see a gunshot wow. wound every day. You see some sort of like penetrating wound, whether 
it's a stab or something. It's, it's really crazy. My first day there, we had a gunshot to the chest where in the bays itself. So there's a triage center, and then there's the operating rooms. And in the mm-hmm. triage center of just Maryland shock trauma, they cracked open someone's chest and the surgeon just like stuck his hand in there to start massaging the heart. Like it's the person died, but it's just a wild, wild place. And it was also mm-hmm. a terrifying place because Baltimore is terrifying i would in the morning it was december so it was everything was dark and i would just run at full speed from my the apartment i was staying at to the clinical rotation but i just learned so much i saw so much you just learn medicine in a different way because it's all moving fast and thinking constantly yeah like i know um being a healthcare worker you also see so many uh, people passing away and you see so much death. So how do you, how do you deal with, how have you dealt with that so far in your career? Unfortunate. Well, I don't know if it's unfortunate or not, but I have a very weird relationship with death because of my career. I think I can, I remember the first dead body I saw, which was when I was in nursing school and I was doing actually an extra, an externship at NYU as a student on mm-hmm. the oncology floor. And when I saw my first person die I was so upset I was hysterically crying and all my friends my friends who were not in nursing had no idea what to do with me it was more of like I was scared I was uncomfortable it was just a lot of feelings um Mm -hmm. and then what because I was working in the medical intensive care unit um as a nurse you see death all of the time it's just the people who come to the intensive care unit are so so sick um and you just you realize it's a different phase of life life Mm -hmm. happens in multiple phases and death is just part of it and and i think the way that i think about it is that it's normal and it happens and Mm -hmm. i see a lot i saw a lot of very unfortunate cases where people extended life way too long um Mm-hmm. Because you just want everything done for your loved one instead of realizing that this is just normal, that people die. Um, so I just have a very odd relationship with it because I think that sometimes people keep their loved ones alive too long to feed yeah. their own need in, instead of thinking about the patient and what they actually need. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, that must be hard to witness that still, though. Oh, yeah. I. Fortunately, I have not, since becoming a nurse anesthetist, uh-huh. the only people, knock on wood, I have seen die are patients who are um, donating their organs. Oh, okay. And so in that sort of case, that's a really special surgery uh-huh. um, because uh, the people who they're brain dead or they're, car- it's, it's usually brain death and they donate all of their organs and the people the person who's in charge of the organ donation comes in and says a special prayer and acknowledges the person's life and the gift that they're Mm -hmm. giving and that's like every time the person that i've I've only been in two surgeries where they do organ donation and it's Mm -hmm. so special and really sad um but really it's just an incredible gift so that's that's the only death I've seen since becoming a CRNA is in that situation. And also what during COVID everyone was basically yeah. dying too. So that's a different story. Yeah. Especially with COVID, how are um, CRNAs in general, like handling the, such, the situation, especially now with 
Omicron um, spreading across the U.S. and everything. Yeah, it's scary. Um, it's, we're just, I can talk about what happened in March 2020 with COVID and then with yeah, now. I'd... Yeah, so I'll, I'll just say now what's going on. So right now, well, we're just all being as careful as possible. We're mm-hmm. wearing N95s or KN95s just because you don't want to overuse your supplies. Yeah. Um, I normally, I just wear a KN95 and then I wear a mask with a shield that like covers my eyes. Uh, and sometimes I wear glasses, but just with all the masks, my ears really hurt. Um, <laughs> so that's, you're just, and you're washing your hands. And I think we're all under the, right now we're under the mentality that, you know what, we're all vaccinated and boosted we're doing the best that we can if we get sick we get sick like we know so much more than what we did yeah um in terms of march 2020 now my full disclosure is that i did not work during the height of covid because i was pregnant Mm -hmm. um but i was texting and on the phone with multiple people because it was such a crazy time um in new york city especially I remember when I was newly pregnant and it was early March and we knew COVID was happening, but we didn't really know the extent and being an anesthesia provider, we're right by the airway, which Mm -hmm. is how COVID is spread is through your mouth and your respiratory system. So it's terrifying that you're literally right in the belly of the beast at all times. You have no idea what person's COVID status is. Um, And being pregnant at the time, I was and, and like a first time mother, I was so, so nervous. And I was just cleaning everything constantly. Um, I wore a full N95 and two masks. Um, I wore a full gown over my scrubs. I would come home. I would like get naked <laughs> in the um, apartment doorway, which was interesting because my husband was zooming right there. So I have to like tell him to turn off the camera and run full speed <laughs> to the bedroom. <laughs> um, <laughs> but during COVID, it, it changed the way that we were viewed in New York City as healthcare providers, because like I was saying with the political climate, how nurses in New York City are very limited in their practice. Um, mm-hmm. During COVID, we were all given full capabilities to be autonomous um, because they just needed the help so desperately. Yeah. So it was interesting because these patients that needed ICU level care, but also they needed airway management. So it was such a great combination of like our our ICU nursing background, which we all had to have in order to be a CRNA and then also Mm -hmm. utilizing the skill set we used as nurse anesthetists, which was line placements, airway, Mm -hmm. how to manage an airway, how to manage a vent, because these, the patients were coughing and clogging up the vent systems. Mm -hmm. Um, And there was a lot of changing of the filters and how to be careful with that. Uh, a lot of intubating patients, which is putting in a breathing tube. It was just a really, my friends just talked about, it was a really scary time um, mm-hmm. to be a nurse anesthetist. And where I was at that point, I was at a, a hospital called Hospital for Special Surgery, which, which was, it's an orthopedic hospital, hundred percent. Like major s- athletes go there to get their ankles. Wow done and their knees done. like everyone gets surgery there if you if you have an injury um but because of covid and elective surgeries were shut down they shut they made the top floor which was a 
uh, outpatient surgery center into a COVID ICU. So the nurses there who were PACU nurses, which is the recovery room nurses who've never taken care of a sick patient, were all made to take care of these sick COVID patients. And the nurse anesthetists were actually the ones in charge manning the floors. Um, and so it was a really interesting time because the nurses at HSS, at Hospital Special Surgery, had no idea that CRNAs had the capability that we had because oh. the, we're actually, we're very restricted in our practice at, at HSS. Mm-hmm. Um, and the nurses, I remember, because I, I didn't work from April until May, and I came back in May and I was talking to the nurses. They're like, we had no idea you guys were able to do those things. I'm like, yes. I'm like, that's what we went to school for. Like, mm-hmm. we're fully capable. We're just not allowed to because of HSS. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So that, it was hard. Mm-hmm. Do, you, do you feel a lot better in Seattle of having more autonomy now because of the different guidelines and everything? Yeah, I actually do. At first, I was really scared. Um, it's scary being in charge and not having a someone to lean on and ask questions. Um, I do. It's been so nice to be the one making decisions and it's given me a lot more resp- feeling a responsibility and being mm-hmm. more careful and thinking about carefully is this patient appropriate for this type of surgery? Are they appropriate for this type of anesthesia? Um, mm-hmm. It's been really rewarding. I always felt when I was um at hss or at nyu whenever i had a day that i didn't really i worked basically on my own the full entire day was always my best day i always left being like wow like i did an awesome like i always had to hype myself up i'm like i did an awesome job i put that patient to sleep i managed them perfectly during the case and they woke up and that's crazy and they lost a ton of blood but i did like it just it was always really satisfying when you worked on your own so i think Mm -hmm. coming to seattle and being able to do that even though it's scary it's nice to see that hey i went to school for this i paid a shit ton of money for my education and it's Uh paying off yeah it's really cool yeah um uh along with that um what skills like for high school students who want to become a crna what skills do you think you need to become a CRNA, what are the most important things? I think being detail oriented is so important. You're always paying attention to the little things in the operating room. You're listening and you're also doing multiple things at once, which I think is maybe why the younger generation might be better at being an anesthesia provider, whether it's a neuroanesthetist or anesthesiologist, like you're listening to beeping like the whole time, but not looking at the screen. So you need to be good at doing multiple things at once but also paying attention in the back of your head like in your Mm -hmm. peripheral vision in a way um so being detail-oriented is important being able to pay attention to multiple things at once retaining Mm -hmm. information whether it's about a drug and this potential side effects or hey you know what this patient has kidney failure i shouldn't use lactate ringers i should use normal saline oh i should not use this paralytic i need to use this paralytic instead because it doesn't affect the kidneys you're always you need to be able to retain information and apply it and that's one of the hardest things i think people who want to be a nurse anesthetist and if people who are nurses who want to become a nurse anesthetist they're not able to apply 
that knowledge and that learning because you could be amazing at school. You can remember every single fact in that book and you can retain all of the information. You have a photographic memory, but if you can't mm -hmm. apply it in the heat of the moment, then you're mm -hmm. screwed. So what's the point? So you need to be able to do not just learn it, you need to apply it. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, along with that, I know, like, is there still a really big demand for nurses and CRNAs? Because I know that we always hear that there's a extreme shortage of nurses. Um, is like, I know that's probably like that still during COVID, but um, how is it right now in that situation? We are desperate for all healthcare workers. I don't know what it is. If it was the, we always, I remember when I was in school, it was this fear that the baby boomer baby boomers would be retiring and that there would be this oh. huge gap in healthcare. And that's what's, and I think that's what's happening now. We need nurses, we need nurse anesthetists, we need doctors. Like we are so short staffed. Um, like I know of multiple hospitals that just are offering so much. People are making intense, insane amount of money being a nurse, being a nurse anesthetist. Um, but it's, there's a shortage everywhere. Like I, I think I, when I talked around the eating, how I couldn't get a job out of, um, out of undergrad to an intensive care unit and I had to do a residency, that's not the case anymore. You can apply directly for an ICU job and you'll have to go through training, of course, but you don't have to apply directly to a residency program. You can get into directly to the ICU and just have someone teach you. So mm -hmm. It's a completely different landscape now. There's, there's so many opportunities and they're, you're so needed. And I just, one thing I'm so grateful of is I love working in medicine. My doc, my dad's a doctor. I like, I just, medicine's always kind of spoken to me, but I think having the, the reality that I'll always have a job and I'll always make an impact in people's lives, no matter what I do mm -hmm. is so incredible. And I, I think not a lot of fields, um, in non healthcare fields can actually do that. Mm -hmm. Yeah. What, what motivated you to go into nursing as opposed to like other fields, uh, in healthcare? Like, as you said, your dad is a doctor. What motivated you? Yes. My dad told me not to be a doctor. <laughs> oh. He was like, you will spend a lot of time doing administrative. Are we allowed to swear on this podcast? Yeah. It's okay, a great. A lot of administrative bullshit. Uh -huh. It's a lot of just disheartening work. And he was like, you'll be able to do so much more as a nurse. And it'll also open up your doors. Um, one of the person, so it wasn't just my dad, but one of my friends from high school, his older sister was a nurse, um, a nursing student at NYU at the time. She was like three, four years older than us. And she was the one who convinced me to apply directly to nursing school and in high school. She was like, hmm. you need to go to nursing school. You will always have a job, whether it's in on the floor as a nurse, whether if you don't want to be a nurse, you can use your healthcare experience. You can go into consulting. You can be a patent lawyer. There's just so many worlds that are opened up to you with just a healthcare and a nursing background. But mm -hmm. if I went to be a doctor, it would be a little bit more limiting because, you know, it's a lot of money to go to med school and then mm -hmm. you do residency and then you do a fellowship. And it's just a very long road until you're actually getting a paycheck. And then 
even after you get that paycheck, you're just so tired and the burnout rates are so high. And yes, doctors are a hundred percent needed and we're even in like primary care, there's such a shortage of doctors. And Mm -hmm. I just, for me, I just wanted the endless opportunities. And I'm so happy I went into nursing because I, I wouldn't be where I am today if it wasn't for that conversation I had with my friend's sister. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, along with that, like how, how's the lifestyle of a CRNA, especially with the little one at home and everything? Oh, it's the best. <laughs> <laughs> um, I am a brat and I love not working nights. I love not working holidays. I love not working weekends. And that's what I got as a CRNA. As a nurse, you have to, most places in the ICU, you have to work a combination of nights or weekends or holidays. You always have to cover something. There are CRNAs that are doing nights and weekends. And like I said, at NYU, I did nights for um, OB, but I, I, I don't mind nights. I'm kind of a freak and I like to, I can sleep well during the day. <laughs> um, but the lifestyle is just so great. You're working just during the week. You can work as many hours. Well, if matters like your expenses and everything but like right now I'm in a very lucky position where I work Monday through Friday I work I'm home every day by five o'clock like maybe the off chance I'm home by seven and I don't see my son but I'm always home and able to see him and at night yeah so it's a great great lifestyle and also the pay is more than being a a nurse on the floor Mm mm-hmm Finally, uh, my last question is, what is a piece of advice for high school students like me that want a career in, a, in the healthcare field? Like, what would you recommend for them to do in high school to really get some experience or knowledge about it? I think shadow someone. I think talk, doing what you're doing right now, like find mm-hmm. out about all these careers in medicine and all the possibilities there's so many opportunities in medicine right now and so much mm. important work. I think just finding out, you obviously don't need to make a decision in high school what you want to do, but just being exposed to that so yeah. that you can make a decision while you're in college, what you want to major in. and Or if you want to apply, I don't know if people can apply directly into nursing school anymore. I don't know how things have changed, but mm-hmm. just exposing yourself to what can be and what you can possibly be working in and career choices and and it, and also what you want like do you want a life what do you, what do you want in your life when you grow up do you want a good lifestyle do you want a high salary you need to figure out kind of what you are aspiring to have in life. Um, I really enjoy having my free time. I enjoy coming home and not taking my work with me. Um, And that's what being a CRNA and working in the hospital as a nurse does. Like the second I leave, my patients don't follow me home. If they did, that would be stalking. (laughs) Cool. Wow. Like really interesting. I didn't know like anything about being a CRNA. I like, I just haven't been exposed to that side of the healthcare field. And it was super exciting to, to get to know more about it. Yeah. It's a really cool field. We have horrible PR as being a nurse anesthetist, but it's an amazing, amazing career. And I highly recommend it. It's the best thing I've ever done. And also like having a child and getting married, blah, blah, blah. But being a CRNA is wonderful. (laughs)
Mm -hmm. Are there any shadowing programs for being a CRNA or, um, yeah, are there any? You know, I'm not really sure. Um, that's a great question. One thing I would look up are the schools that do CRNA, um, or actually just going online to your hospital and seeing like, like I'm saying, but go on the Swedish website and emailing, you can see the chief nurse anesthetist um, or the chief anesthesia person. And you can always email them and just be like, hey, I'm a high school student. I would really love an experience to come into the operating room and just see what it's like for a day. When I, in order to apply to CRNA school, you need to actually shadow a nurse anesthetist is one of the, one of the requirements for most schools. Um, and so when I was working at Mass General, I literally just went on the Mass General anesthesia website, found the chief of anesthesia, the chief nurse anesthetist and emailed her like cold and said, hi, I'm really interested in becoming a nurse anesthetist. Can I shadow for a day? I'm a nurse. And she was like, of course, she was so excited. So I just reached out, look online, be aggressive, always be aggressive, always be that obnoxious person, just email, email, email. No one will fault you for being aggressive about your life. Uh-huh. Cool. Thank you so much. This is of the course. And I learned so much from this. Thank you. Of course. Thank you for having me. This is so fun. I hope you guys really learned a lot from this episode. I know I learned so much about the career of a CRNA through Aliza's detailed answers. Thank you for listening and tune in for my next episode.